together. Lord, thank you that though we are prone to wander, thank you that you welcome us into your presence afresh today, that you love us, that your mercy is new every morning, and the promise of your word is that if we would draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your word that gives us guidance on this life. And I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, so good to have Pastor Charles from Norwalk and Spencer and the team leading us this morning. Let's thank them for leading us. Man. Seth on cello, too. Man, that's a treat. And uh, I, I love the, the seeing just the, the heart and the talent um, that God has blessed our church with and uh, the way that they selflessly give those gifts and talents back to Jesus and, and to us, right? Um, so thank you guys for leading us. Uh, wanted to give you guys a quick update before we dive into our message this morning, uh, because in a, just a couple weeks, on the weekend of October 25th, we're going to make a, a slight change in our worship service hours. And uh, so starting that weekend, this service, 10 a.m., will shift just 15 minutes to 10.15, so we're just giving you 15 more minutes to sleep, get ready, whatever you need to do. Uh, the, really, the, the, the motivation behind changing up our service times is to uh, make more space in this service. This is kind of our most popular service, and uh, we, we need to shift some people to that 9 a.m. So instead of having to be there for 8.30 like it's been, uh, it'll just be 9 a.m., 10.15, and then still 11.30. Any of those options, and uh, if, if Boy, if one of those other option hours works for you and you're willing to make that shift, that'll be a huge help for us to make more room for perhaps other guests. This seems to be the most common service that, that even guests attend, and so thanks for your help in that. But we just wanted to give you that heads up. We still got a couple more weeks. We'll keep you posted week by week. We'll send some things out to you. Uh, you'll watch social media, and you'll, you'll, you'll stay tracking with us that way, okay? Uh, but if you've got any questions, please see me, see Pastor Ryan, and we're happy to walk you through that. But it really is to make room uh, in this service and to give our kids a, a little bit better option. Those of, with kids attending that 830 service, it gives moms and dads a little bit more time to get ready uh, and uh, be here for that early service if they so choose. Okay? Well, we are in the midst of a series that we started a few weeks ago called Undaunted, and we've been following some different characters of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, uh, and their undaunted faith. Kind of this, this sense of adventure uh, that it is to truly follow Jesus. And this weekend, we want to look specifically at the adventure of leadership, the adventure of leadership. Now, right away, some people will quickly think, well, this isn't for me. I'm not a leader. I, you know, I'm, I don't lead a business. I'm, I, I'm not a coach. But leadership really is influence. And we ought to redefine it that way. And when we do, it helps us all understand that every single one of us has influence. So that means that every single one of us has a potential to be a leader. Even if you're a stay-at-home mom, you are influencing your kids' lives. You are a leader. If you're a, a student at school, your friends, you have the potential to be a leader, to influence their lives. If, if you're on a sport team, then you're a leader and you can influence your teammates. If you're 
um, if whether you're the CEO of a company or you're working on the line in a factory, you have influence with your coworkers. Every single one of us has leadership opportunities. And the story that we want to look at this weekend is a beautiful picture of a leader. And that leader is Deborah. Her story is found in the book of Judges, chapters 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4 really is the historical account. Chapter 5 is really a more poetic account. In fact, it's a song. We'll learn about that more later. But the, the, the book of uh, Judges is the seventh book of the Bible. If you just were to track Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, so on and so forth. Just before the book of Judges, we come to the book of Joshua. Now, that, that book really covers the story of the Israelite nation moving into the promised land, going to battle, taking over the land that God had granted them, and Joshua was their leader at the time. Joshua dies, though, and then there is a great chasm, a void of leadership. And that brings us to the book of Judges, where pretty quickly we see a cycle evolve that ensues time and time and time again. It begins with the Israelite nation serving the Lord at the top. And then it's not too long before they fall into idolatry and fall into sin and put God on the shelf and other things become more important. And once that happens, somebody has said, you know, you, you invite, uh, if you order God out of your life, you invite disorder into your life. And that is exactly what happens. So they, they put God on the shelf, and then Israel is then enslaved, usually by some other nation that God gives power to overcome them, to help them come to their senses so that they will ultimately cry out to him again and come back to the Lord. And then God raises up a judge. A judge was a leader of the Israelite nation in that day, called to make decisions and to lead God's people. And oftentimes, as they would, the people would go astray, God would raise up a judge then to bring them back into following him and honoring him. Eventually, Israel is delivered, and the cycle starts over and over again. And the crazy thing is, it happens over and over and over just in the book of Judges. And truth be told, doesn't it happen over and over in the same way in our lives? We seek to honor God. Other things get in the way. We lose priority. <laughs> Our life kind of spirals, and we're, we feel like we're suffering or being punished. And finally, we cry out to God again, and He's gracious, and He's merciful. And sometimes He brings people into our lives to help us get redirected and get back on track, and, and we're restored, and then we're serving God again. And then somewhere along the way, <laughs> life gets hard, or we get off course, and, and the cycle again happens. And this was the cycle of the Israelite nation, of God's people in history. And that brings us to Judges chapter 4, where we first learn about our next judge. Now, it says, after Ehud's death, now Ehud was another one of the judges, and it says, after he died, the Israelites again did evil. See if you see the pattern in, this, in these verses. The Israelites did evil again in the Lord's sight, so the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera. So this is the main military leader under Jabin the king. And it says, who lived in Hersheth Hagoyim, Sisera, who had 900 chariots, ruthlessly 
oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So you see it? I mean, a judge is off the picture. Chaos ensues. God's put on the shelf. (laughs) They do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord turns them over. Now they're under the oppression of this uh, military leader named Sisera, who ruthlessly, it says, oppresses them. For 20 years, this is going on. It says, and then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. The cycle continues. Now, Sisera, it says, had an army of 900 iron chariots, which made it really difficult to go up against. That's why they had control. They were pressing the Israelite nations. Those 900 chariots, giant iron chariots with huge wheels and spindles with blades on them where they could literally mow down a a group of foot soldiers. And foot soldiers is all that the Israelite nation had at this time. Let's read on. It says, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at this time. So Deborah is a prophet who hears from God and speaks on God's behalf to the people, and she's placed as a judge, as a leader. She was known for her wisdom in life and making right choices and right decisions, and she honored God, as we'll see. So now Deborah is in the driver's seat, so to speak. She has a leadership opportunity of great, great influence. And she chooses Barak, who would be a military leader on behalf of the Israelite nations, and she relays to him what God has said to her. Let's look at the text. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. This is Deborah speaking. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera. There's the bad guy, remember? Uh, I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors. And I'm sure that uh, at this point, Barak is thinking, uh, why are are you calling out the chariots and warriors? Couldn't couldn't we just leave the chariots at home? Like, this is going to be a tough battle. And he he says, uh, I'm going to call them out to the Kishon River. And there I will give victory over him. So the plot thickens. And it says, Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Now, this is significant. This isn't Barak chickening out. Uh, This is Barak, I think, recognizing the leadership abilities of Deborah. And he says, I'm not going unless you go with me. Perhaps it's because Barak thought, I know that if you go with me, then God goes with us because he knew Deborah's character and that she sought to follow God with everything that she was. And so it says, she replied very well, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. And so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now we're going to find out in just a little while who the woman is that God gives credit, that God gives victory over the Canaanite people, all right? Now this next verse pops up and it seems very out of place. It talks about this guy named Heber the Canaanite. It says, Heber the Canaanite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law in Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim near 
Kadesh. Now, remember this guy's name because he's going to appear later in the story, all right? And he pitched a tent outside of Kadesh, right? All right, let's keep going. It says, Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day that the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Notice how she reminds Barak that God has got this, that God is going before you, and he's the one that's going to give you the victory. So Barak, it says, led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. Verse 15, when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all of his chariots and warriors into a panic. Now let's stop right there for a moment, because we, if we jump over one chapter to Judges chapter 5, the more poetic account of this, this situation, we learn a little bit more of what it was that threw Sisera and all of his chariots into a panic. Now remember, the Lord had told uh, Barak through Deborah, the judge, to lead them to go to battle in this great riverbed that usually at this time of the year was dry, and so it was a perfect flat land to do battle in. But in the midst of that, the Lord, in the midst of a drought, sends an incredible storm, and the waters in the riverbed turn to mud, and when Sisera goes in with these gigantic iron chariots, they go down in, and they get stuck. They get stuck in the mud, and it throws everybody into a panic and as a result, the Israelite nation attacks, they win the battle, and yet Sisera, it says, leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. This wicked man that had been uh, oppressing the Israelite nation for all these years, he skips out of town and tries to hide away, and that's where, remember Heber the Canaanite? This is where he comes into the picture. Actually, not him, but his wife. Her name was Jael. It says Jael went out to meet Sisera. He was running for his life, looking for a place to hide out. She goes out to him. Jael is a part of the Israelite nation. And she says to Sisera, come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. It says, so he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. She showed kindness. She welcomed him in, showed him some hospitality, but she knew who Sisera was. And it says, he, uh, she said, please, or he said, please give me some water. I'm thirsty. And so she gave him some milk in a, from a leather bag and she covered him again. She tucked him in, gave him some more milk, off he goes to sleep. <laughs> it says, but when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand, and she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. I bet he didn't see that coming. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm thinking if we were ever to have another child, we had a little girl, I'd name her Jael. That way, when the teen boys come around, be like, don't mess with her. Like, <laughs> she will get you. Like, and a, a, a brutal ending, right? But a brutal ending to an even more brutal character that had been torturing God's people. And finally, they call out to him, turn to him, go to battle with the Lord leading them under Barak's leadership and Deborah's leadership. 
and he is taken care of. He is wiped out. So I want us to now take a few minutes to think about three leadership principles that we can learn from this story and from Deborah herself. The first is to be available to God and others. That sounds like a simplistic statement, but if we want to become leaders, if we want to have influence, it's going to, be, it's going to mean stepping up and stepping forward when there's opportunity and being available both to God and to other people. And this was no small thing for Deborah. Deborah is um, number four of 12 men judges. In that day, it was a male-dominated society. Women didn't have leadership roles, and yet Deborah was noticed for her great wisdom and invited to take the lead And that would have not been an easy thing for her. Not only was she a woman and having everything kind of going against her in that culture to be a leader, she also was not trained as a warrior. All the other judges that we read about led their people into battle. And while she did go along with Barak and led the battle, she was there as the brains of the operation, as the one leading the charge and giving direction so that they could win but she was not a military leader. And so when, when she was given this opportunity to lead, she, it could have been so easy for her to say, who am I? I'm not, I mean, I'm a woman in the midst of a man's world. I've never been trained for battle, and there's going to be battles ahead of us. But Deborah was available. You just never know what God will do with our lives when we are just available to him. If you're available as a mom for God to use with your kids, it could change the course of their lives. When you're available as a a co-worker to a friend that might be hurting, you never know how God might use your influence in their life. When When you're a student or an athlete and you're available to God and available to others, you never know how God might want to use you to influence the lives of other people. First leadership principle that we see in Deborah, be available to God and to others. There's a second principle, though, that I think that is even more important. That is, once we are available and an opportunity arises, be determined to honor God. And that's what Deborah did. It's interesting, in the book of Judges, this verse uh, is repeated two times in chapter 17 and then also at the very end of the book in chapter 21. It kind of describes the cultural context of everything that was going on. It says, in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? (laughs) I mean, we're living in a culture today that says, hey, you do you, right? Right? Yeah, whatever you think is right, you just do that. Whatever you think is right, you just do that. The problem is when what you think is right and what they think is right doesn't fit. (laughs) And now there's conflict. And there may not be physical war, but man, there's social media wars. and, and, And life is messy and dysfunctional. And this was what was happening in their day. Everybody was just doing what they wanted. They had lost their moral compass, and God was bringing somebody 
that was willing to go against the flow. And that was Deborah. She was determined to honor God. When she heard what God wanted, she relayed the message to Barak, and they went to battle anyway. When other people probably thought it was crazy or we're going to get killed out there, Deborah was committed to honor God. Somebody posted this the other day on, on social media. They said, it is better to walk alone than to walk with a crowd in the wrong direction. And Deborah was willing to walk alone and to call others to walk with her in the right direction of honoring God. God's given every single one of us in this room opportunity. The question is, will we seek to use that opportunity to honor Him? To honor God in our marriage and show love and respect and to cherish one another, right? That's to honor God. Uh, to, 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 to honor God in, at our school or on the, on the field when we rise above where everybody else is going. And instead of just being a follower, I always tell my son Carter, who's an eighth grader, he's got a group of, new group of friends that are wanting to hang out and do, do different things. And I tell him, Carter, just don't be a follower, be a leader. That is, unless you're following a good leader. <laughs> but so many times in life, there's leadership gaps, and we just end up following the crowd and doing what everybody else is doing. And God's calling us to rise above that and to honor Him with whatever opportunities He brings before us. You're leading in business, you have influence there, honor God with your business, right? Uh, care for your employees and lead others and be generous. That's honoring to God. It's the second leadership principle I think that we see happening in the life of Deborah. She was on, she was on it and determined to honor God. Finally, that leads to the third lesson, third leadership principle from Deborah, and that is give credit where credit is due. Give credit where credit is due. That's what good leaders do. Good leaders don't seek the applause of men, don't hog the spotlight, but good leaders point to the other people that are making it all possible. And that's what Deborah did. You know what's interesting? With, uh, through the book of Judges, in every different story of a judge, there's usually one hero. But in this story with Deborah, there's multiple heroes. Deborah's a hero because she listens to God and she leads the people and she calls Barak. Barak is a, is a hero because he answers that call and goes into battle against great odds and honors God in doing so. And Jael is a hero. She ends the story altogether. Like, there's all these characters. And, and what's beautiful is in the, in the fifth chapter of Judges, Barak and Deborah, they sing this song of praise. And in this song, they praise the people that made it all possible. They give credit where credit is due. Deborah's mentioned, Barak is mentioned, even Jael is mentioned in chapter 5, verse 24. Deborah, Deborah saying, most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite. May she be blessed above all women who live in tents. Now, not only did Deborah pass the praise or give credit where credit was due when it came to people, but ultimately, you guys, at the end of the day, under it all, through it all, and over it all, Deborah gave credit to God. 
And that's what I love about her story. It's why the Israelite nation won in the end, because they were honoring God. They were depending on God again, and Deborah led the charge. And in chapter 5, we find this beautiful song. And I just want to recite the words, and then we're going to join together, and we're going to sing, and we're going to sing a song of victory. This is what Deborah and Barak sang. Verse 2, Israel's leaders took charge, and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings. Pay attention, you mighty rulers, for I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. And then she's saying, Lord, when you set out from Sire and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai, and in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. She gave ultimate credit to the God that was leading her life. And if we want to be leaders, all we got to have is a little bit of influence, and every single one of us in this room has influence. We just got to be available. Available to God, available to others. We just have, a, have to have a heart to honor God in whatever opportunity he brings before us. And then as we take that step forward to be determined to give credit where credit is due. This song that we're going to sing says, not I, but Christ who lives in me. Let's be determined as we leave this place today, whatever opportunities he gives, that we'll continue to point people back to the one that made the difference in our life first, Jesus himself. Let's worship together.